Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. The Volume. Hi, everybody. Welcome in. Can't wait. 10 minutes, 12 minutes away from Chris Mannix joining us, member of The Volume Sports. And uh, talk about all the NBA moves. I thought the Lakers did pretty well. Uh, Phoenix has built a bench pretty quickly, so we'll talk about that. I got a couple of things on my mind. Uh, first, happy 4th of July weekend. Uh, I'm going to take Wednesday off from TV and radio, work Monday and Tuesday, and hang out with some members of my family. My kids are getting older now, so I can't get them all for 4th of July weekend, which is a bummer, but that's a uh, part of, uh, you know, your kids growing up. So I, something that jumped out to me this weekend, I watched people implode when Elon Musk instituted a view limit on Twitter. I could not be the only person, and I view myself as a political independent to moderate, that was struck by the irony of Hollywood elites saying they were leaving Twitter the, the minute Elon Musk purchased it and then complaining all weekend about view limits. <laughs> which is it so many people hated elon musk i'm leaving he's ruined it and now you're complaining about view limits take a deep breath go outside one of the things that has really turned me off from twitter is not elon musk it's the outrage constantly about elon musk i think the media does a really bad job of connecting often with the public only 23% of Americans are on Twitter. And I think for the people who aren't, if they went on, they'd be immediately turned off. It's just an outrage machine. Folks, life is about limits, right? There's, there's everything in our life, speeding limits, term limits. I work in media, FCC has limits on how many stations you can own. I love the state parks. I try to go to a state park every couple of years. Even they're not free. Twitter's a business. You have to buy an $80 season pass. Now, they'll have free days at state parks, but you got to pay to play, right? I mean, even our beaches in the country, there are places they're not free. You got to pay to go to some beaches. So a media platform, you think it's going to be free forever? No, it's not. It has to be ad supported and subscription supported to some level. It was losing money when Jack owned it. It's losing money now with Elon. He's got to figure out how to make it work. I guarantee you 99% of you are on Twitter more than you're on Netflix. They're not giving that thing away for free. 
I remember when newspapers first went to a paywall. Bum me out. Now they're all on it. I remember when I used to be able to watch a lot of things on media sites without being bombarded by ads. Those days are over. Hopefully, all of you listening have a broad enough life that view limits won't ruin your 4th of July weekend. So I'm going to talk to Chris Mannix about this, but um, Damian Lillard is not as easy to trade as people think. He has requested a trade from the Blazers. Small dynamic guards that don't defend, don't truly elevate others, and have a recent injury history and a contract that's pretty ugly at the end of the deal are hard to move. Now, I think he works in Miami, but that's because Bam and Jimmy Butler are excellent defenders. I think he works in Milwaukee. That's because Giannis and Drew Holiday are excellent defenders. But with Dame, he's given up buckets. He's small. And, and I think the league is finally coming to terms with dynamic guards don't necessarily make others better. Westbrook just signed a contract for 8 mil. That was it. Dylan Brooks signed one for 80 mil. That's the reality of the league. Bigs with high skill level, wings, 3 and D wings. And the other thing is the really smart GMs in this league figure out that you find your star eventually, and then you surround him with people who limit his weakness. Jokic, not a great defender. The Nuggets go get Aaron Gordon from Orlando, a great defender. Steph, the Warriors have always surrounded him. Peyton, Clay Thompson, Wiggins, Draymond, Andre Iguodala years ago with the elite defenders. Um, if you look at LeBron, as great as he is, when he went to Miami, Pat Riley knew that Wade and LeBron were not elite three-point shooters. What did they do? Ray Allen, Mike Miller, Shane Battier. That's why the Dallas Mavericks coupling Luka and Kyrie gobbling up a lot of the payroll is sort of mystifying long term. I would not have signed Kyrie for a three-year deal. He's ball-centric, can't defend. Luca's ball centric, can't defend. It's duplication. So you have to understand with Dame, I think the Utah situation is pretty interesting and they have some draft picks and some young players to give Portland back. But if you bring in Dame, you have to own it. He's not going to give you 70 games and he's not going to defend and he's going to need the ball a lot. So that's why, that's why Miami and Milwaukee to me really work. I'm not sure, though, Miami has enough to give Portland a sense they at least broke even on the trade. You know, I was thinking about Major League Baseball. I think we're going to have a remarkable football season. And I've said for years, I think Major League Baseball should shorten their season to about 120 games end early August and go seven weeks of playoffs over by the third week of September. You play in warm weather all season, end in warm weather. Late October, early November, rainouts, cold. Uh, it's it's not how the game is supposed to be played. So, and there's another um, real estate reality is that when football starts, baseball shrinks. So you could own August, and remember, it's it's not until after Labor Day that first Thursday opens the season. But you would have 
Friday and Saturday before the NFL season's first weekend really starts. And I think you should be wrapping up baseball by then. Grab some momentum. But baseball this year is going to be really challenged to get playoff ratings. First of all, college football now has broader appeal. Michigan, maybe the first or second best team in the country. USC will be a top five team in the country. LSU, Georgia, Bama, obviously huge in the South. Um, Ohio State, Notre Dame. There's more breadth to college football this year. Denver West will be more engaged, and they really haven't been for the last 10 to 12 years since Pete Carroll, USC, eroded. So you're going to get some Western viewers watching college football that haven't for about a decade. It's going to be a big year in college football ratings. Secondarily, um, the NFL is growing every year. It is a monster. And more than ever, you've got really clever offensive coaches. So even when you get kind of marginal average quarterback talent, Tua uh, is, is an example. You can elevate him significantly. We have about 10 to 12 elite offenses in the NFL. And San Francisco doesn't have a great quarterback, but still I regard it as a top offense because of Kyle Shanahan and the personnel. So it's going to be a lot of points. In the NFL early, usually is in warm weather September. It's going to be a, a, a broad array of major college football powers. USC and Texas appear to be back. And in Major League Baseball right now, seven of the top teams in baseball, first or second in their division, are the Reds, the D-backs, Cleveland, Minnesota, Baltimore, and Tampa. <laughs> Good luck to Major League Baseball. Not a lot of household names. The Yankees this year can't hit. Their on-base percentage is 301. That's the same as the A's, and the A's are a AAA team. The Dodgers pitching is 22nd in ERA. So the Dodgers and Yankees are just not really special teams. The good news, you can always watch the Cleveland Guardians in the playoffs if they make it to watch future Yankees. So you're going to get a lot of non-household names, non-big brands in baseball in September and October, and I think we're going to have our best college football season and one of our more dynamic NFL seasons in a long time. Good luck to baseball. The dust has settled, Colin Cowherd, on free agency in the NBA. More than $2 billion has been earmarked for NBA players over the first 48 hours of free agency. A predictable dizzying of activity over the first few days of free agency. I wouldn't say, though, there has been anything that I would call a significant surprise over the first few days. I mean, the battle for Fred Van Vliet was kind of what I expected. Houston and Toronto going back and forth before the Rockets come in with a massive offer. The Indiana Pacers made a bunch of moves around the fringes. Was there anything out there in the first couple of days that took you aback? Yeah, I thought the Dallas Mavericks were negotiating against themselves. Um, I don't think there was a market. Three years, $126 million. Um, You know, it's funny. Mark Cuban does so many things I like. I find it to be a very odd franchise with their hirings, um, with their signings. Um, I said when they got Luka, they, you know, they looked for years to find kind of the right remedy for the weaknesses of Dirk. 
uh, understanding what his strengths were. And they finally found a chippy team, a defensive team, a veteran team, guys that fit around him, a lot of length. Because Dirk was never a great defender. And it's like, oh, this works. Not long term. It's not the Spurs, but it works. Luke is a ball centric, poor defender. Uh, I think there's a way to build around him. And that is now Eric, uh, Aaron Gordon's not on the market. Denver has him. But a player like that, players like that, gritty, tough defenders, guys that don't need the ball. Luca can control things. It's a little bit like a bigger version of James Harden. There was a way to build around James Harden. I, I always had this theory is that you find your star. The Warriors have done this and then you protect his weakness. You know, they look at Steph. Clay can defend in his prime. Wiggins, Draymond, Iggy, like they knew what he was. The example I've used is Giannis early, not much of a shooter. Middleton became valuable. They, they were hoping there was more in the tank for Joe Ingles. Jay Crowder aged very quickly, but he was a 3 and D guy for a while. So you generally find your star. He's, he's next level at something. Jokic at something. But they all have holes. LeBron was not a great shooter. Either was D. Wade. So what did Riley do? Ray Allen, Mike Miller, Battier, he got guys who could hit threes. Dallas, once again, will go into a season as the league arguably. Um, I mean, defense really now plays, I think, uh, uh, a really crucial role. Even Denver played really pretty good defense for a team we didn't view as an elite defensive team. And Dallas is going against the grain with an offensive team. Yeah, again, I love Cuban. I don't get moves here. Do you? I get the desire to bring Kyrie Irving back. And I think Dallas is probably patting itself on the back by saying, we got Kyrie Irving on a three-year deal. Kyrie Irving wanted a four-year deal or a five-year deal. We got him on a three-year deal. They didn't have any options here. You know, bringing Kyrie Irving back was both the only way to keep them competitive in an increasingly competitive Western conference and to at least temporarily stave off, you know, the Luka Doncic, what are we doing here conversation? Because without Kyrie Irving, you know, that conversation would have happened probably sooner rather than later. It may still happen. You know, to your point, this doesn't solve a lot of problems that the Mavericks have, especially defensively, but at least it kind of pushes that conversation down the line, use the phrase, you know, bidding against themselves. And that's exactly what Dallas was doing here. Uh, this contract tells me that the tactical PR campaign that Kyrie Irving and his agents have waged over the last couple of months worked. You know, the first sort of salvo was Kyrie leaking it out there that he was going to have a conversation with LeBron James about playing in Dallas, which was ridiculous on the surface. For starters, LeBron wasn't a free agent and isn't a free agent, and he's never expressed any desire to play anywhere outside of Los Angeles. So, But that was Kyrie's messaging to the Mavericks that, hey, you've historically been a team that has struggled to recruit free agents. I'm your guy. I can bring in free agents. I can bring guys to Dallas that never would have considered going there before. That was his way of doing that. And then there's all the nonsense about meetings. Like you're meeting with the Phoenix Suns for what exactly? Everyone with, you know, a pair of eyeballs and, and ears knows that Kyrie is all about the top dollar, right? Like the reason 
Kyrie is not a Brooklyn net right now is because he saw the writing on the wall. He saw a Brooklyn team that was fed up with all of his antics and was not going to offer him the kind of long-term deal he wanted free agency. The idea that he was going to take some kind of short money deal to play where in Phoenix, in Miami, he's going to take the mid-level exception from the Lakers. I mean, these were, these were ludicrous suggestions, but the reality is getting a three year $126 million contract, which is all guaranteed player option in that third year. If he wants it, he can pick it up. I don't know that to me, Colin says that Kyrie's game, whatever it was, it worked. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for, or the perfect table. Hey, where are you coming? And when you get access to Resi priority notify with your Amex platinum card, Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it, Boy Meets, Meets World House. House. Take a listen. We are lucky to be sitting with Alan and Amy Matthews in the flesh, William, Rusty Russ, and Betsy Randall. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. When those those legends get here, let me know. (laughs) (laughs) You're here. You're here already. No, no. we didn't either when we were watching yeah, this. That's day. The that's we didn't the problem. realize it until we uh, started getting into seasons three and four, and now we're like, "Oh my god!" We were both so good on the show, and we missed it because we were we young were kids and, and so self-involved, egomaniacs, yeah. and <laughs> didn't realize well, no, how great you were. We've talked about it. I think you just assumed everybody was as good as them, and, right. and then right. you get into right. as you grow up and you work with other actors, you realize how <gasps> lucky we were yeah. to have you guys. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, let's talk about Pro Plan Sport. Pro Plan Sport is advanced nutrition made to fuel strength and stamina in active dogs like yours. So whether you're heading out to explore a new trail or looking to set a personal best on your daily run, start your journey off right with the high-performance fuel your dog needs to keep pushing you every step of the way. Pro Plan Sport. Discover the power of advanced nutrition for strength and stamina at ProPlanSport.com. That's ProPlanSport.com. I will say, I think most moves in free agency are incremental but I thought the Lakers had a series of good incremental moves. I thought Gabe Vincent, if you can shoot and you play with LeBron, you'll get looks. They retained the two guys I would absolutely retain, Rui and Reeves. Um, they got D'Angelo Russell for two years only, meaning you can move that in a year, and he does provide perimeter shooting. They moved off guys that, I mean, let's not kid ourselves, Lonnie Walker, had a good mm. <laughs> game or maybe a half. Um, Jackson Hayes, I also thought was a nice acquisition. I think with with Anthony Davis, um, because he's more um, he's a great defensive player, they become very reliant on him as a defensive player. And Jackson Hayes, um, they needed another big athletic body, and that's what he is. He's had some trouble off the floor, but he's a big, talented athletic body. So I thought Vincent and Hayes were nice pickups. I don't know a ton about Prince, but I thought they moved off the right people. I also thought they got Austin Reeves for a 
pretty good number. That was one of the I thought that was one of the shrewder deals because I like him. You know, you can become a hater in this league if you criticize a player. I like him, and I think he'll be a 16.5.4 assist guy. But he's not an elite shooter, not an elite point guard. He's a decent defender. He, he initiates contact. LeBron likes playing with him. The number he got is a reasonable number. So I think they made a series of incremental moves, Chris. But you know what? You can get a lot better by inches. It doesn't all have to be feet and meters here. And I thought the Lakers came out of the weekend a, a better basketball team, a clearer basketball team. Your thoughts? Really, I've thought since January of this past season, Rob Palenka has made a pretty strong case that he's operating as one of the best executives in basketball. Uh, from the Rui Hashimura deal to where we are now, the Lakers have been built correctly. You know, whatever they were doing before, the accumulation of stars going big, getting Russell Westbrook, none of that seemed to make any sense. But from the Hashimura deal to the D'Angelo Russell deal to everything we saw in free agency, the Lakers have had success after success. And look, all the guys they brought in, you know, Torian Prince, 38% three-point shooter, versatile three and D guy. He'll work in that system. I think he'll be a better version and a more playable version of Lonnie Walker in that system. Gabe Vincent, starter on an NBA Finals team, reliable guy, good contract. Getting Austin Reeves back, as you said, on that team-friendly contract. It did surprise me, Colin, to see that there wasn't a team out there just looking to screw the Lakers over. Like, the Lakers... They were telegraphing to anyone that would listen that they were going to match that, you know, mythical four-year, $100 million contract. In a way, it surprised me that San Antonio, with all that cap room, that they didn't say, you know what, we're going to give Austin Reeves four years, $100 million, just to kind of screw with the Lakers a little bit. But nobody did, and the Lakers get him back on a tremendous deal. The D'Angelo Russell deal, I mean, how many months ago... Were we talking about, oh, God, will the Lakers give D'Angelo Russell a close-to-max level deal? They get him for two years on a song. Oh, it's incredible. I so I thought the Lakers had an enormously successful first few days of the offseason. And on top of that, the guys we just talked about, they're all tradable, right? They, they all have digestible contracts for teams that you know could be looking to offload a superstar down the line. So if the Lakers, in the next year, 18 months decide to go that direction where they want to add another piece to that puzzle, they can do it. They can do it. They've preserved some of their future yeah. draft capital. Um, and they've got these digestible contracts that can be moved that could bring another star to the mix. So I was a huge fan of what the Lakers did in the first couple of days. I think, um, and, and I've said this with Austin Reeves, I like him, but I do think what concerns people about him so giving him like a max money deal, I don't see a lot of max qualities. He's not a max ball handler, max shooter, max twitchy, max size. He's an older young player because he played in college forever. He's like a 70s throwback. So I think you, you see this sometimes in the NFL where Mac Jones comes in, quarterback of the Patriots out of Alabama, and he's pretty darn close to his ceiling, has a very redeemable rookie year. And that's kind of what he is. I, I do think after two years and 10 points a game, I think Austin Reeves has another jump. But I don't think it's 22 points a game. I think it's 16 and a half. And I, and I think, you know, to Austin Reeves' credit, he likes playing with LeBron. LeBron gets him the ball. 
Austin knows he's a good ball handler. He's not a pure point. LeBron can take that out of his hands. I think Austin, and I wish more players realize this, this is a good fit for him. It's a really nice fit. And let's be honest, for a kid that's undrafted, it's like being an undrafted tight end and you end up with the Dallas Cowboys and Dak's throwing you footballs. Like, it's a damn good situation for him. And there's not a ton of pressure. Like, he's the, th- you know, on some nights, he's the second or second best player, but he's mostly the third best player on a good team. So I, 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 thought, the, I thought the league spoke that we like him. He's maybe a tad closer to his ceiling than people think. Now, the Dame situation's interesting. And this sport's cyclical. You and I grew up back to the basket centers. Then it became Jordan, Kobe, Wings took over the league. Um, you know, small ball had its run. And I still think it can be effective if you have multiple three-point shooters. Sometimes teams are fooled into thinking they do. The Warriors did. Houston for a while did. The league now tends to be more European, highly skilled bigs. Wing defenders, very important. Dame is not as tradable as everybody thinks. Everybody's consumed, what do the Blazers get back? Well, here's what you get with Dame. A tiny guard, two years of injuries, highly expensive late in the contract, and a huge defensive liability. I like him with Miami and Milwaukee because, Chris, they can surround him with excellent defenders. He doesn't work in a lot of places. Like people love Utah. Can they surround him with enough defenders? And the end of that contract, Chris, it's punitive. Like if he's banged up two, three years into this, that is a lead weight in year three. I think it's a harder contract. I think he's a harder player to move than people think. I think that the market won't be wide, but the market that will be there for him will be clawing over itself to get him. Um, and that includes Miami, Philadelphia, the New York Knicks. I think at least those Brooklyn, at least those four teams will be just throwing, you know, stuffing their offers with sweeteners to get the attention of the Portland Trailblazers. I, I do want to, before I kind of give, you know, my take on where, who should go after him and where he should go. I have been disappointed in how the Blazers have handled all this. Like every public statement that Joe Cronin makes, it it just makes him seem like he's mystified that Damian Lillard wouldn't want to be in (laughs) Portland. And he's mystified why anyone would believe that the Blazers can't assemble a contender. What the Blazers did in the first few days of free agency was give Jeremy Grant one of the worst contracts that were handed out during free agency. A 29-year-old good player just gets in excess of $30 million per year. That is going to be any, they do that knowing full well that wasn't going to satisfy Damian Lillard. That Blazers team last year was largely healthy. Like, you know, I think Grant played 60 plus games. Lillard was in that mix. You subtract the games that they punted towards the end of the season. For the crux of that season, yeah, that was a healthy Blazers team. And somehow the idea pops in the head of Joe Cronin that giving Jeremy Grant five years and $160 million is going to placate Damian Lillard and make him think that this 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 team has what it takes to, to succeed. I, I just didn't understand that. And now 
it, it just strikes me, Colin, that the Blazers are kind of going out of their way to pick a fight with Lillard, whether it's to say, you know, we were committed to building around Dame, but hey, he wants to go somewhere else. We'll do our best to make sure that happens. And then to, and look, Lillard kind of started this by putting it out there that he wanted to be in Miami, but then the Blazers countering by, you know, effectively saying we're going to look around the league and do what's best for us, which they should. I just don't like, it feels like an unnecessary fight to pick. You know, you're both, both sides are adults. They could have gotten in a room and said, look, you're not going to win anything with me. Uh, You're building around Scoot Henderson, who could be the next me. You've got shade and sharp. Let's just use my value to keep pushing you in that direction. And I'll find a contender. Just feels like it's become adversarial when it didn't have to be. Now, the team that needs to go all in for Lillard is the Philadelphia 76ers because the Philadelphia 76ers are in that Damian Lillard success window, that success bubble. They've got three years now of probably peak Joel Embiid, who's, I believe, going to turn 30 during this season. They've got to find a way to maximize. They've got an asset in James Harden that the Clippers badly want. They've got draft capital in the form of those future Suns pick, which I can tell you are as appetizing as any future draft picks to teams across the NBA. I mean, there is a widespread belief that three years from now, the Suns could be cratering. Like they could be just in a rough spot. And those draft picks and pick swaps have enormous value. If I'm the 76ers, I am going all out to construct some kind of three-team deal that sends James Harden to the Clippers, brings Damian Lillard to Philly, and the Blazers, maybe they get Tyrese Maxey, who maybe they don't need right now because they've got a surplus of smallish guards, but you take the asset and you get a boatload of draft picks, both from the Clippers and the uh, the Sixers. Sometimes there's just a deal, Colin, that's so obvious that you wonder why it's it hasn't happened already. This, to me, feels like one of them. This, to me, feels like the kind of deal that makes sense for everybody. The Clippers get their playmaker. The uh, Sixers get Lillard and Embiid paired together. Those are two winners, you know, two win-at-all-cost types of guys. And the Blazers get their package of young players and draft picks they can build around for years to come. That, to me, is a deal that all three sides need to be talking about right now. I want to I want to talk Phoenix Suns for a second because I think a lot of it. Bradley Beal's got many good years left. So does uh, Aiton, and so does uh, Booker. A lot of it just hinges, and they cobbled together a bench. They they went and got Eric Gordon, so they cobbled together a little bit of a bench. He's a nice little player. He's an older player, but a nice player. It really comes down to KD's health. If you can get sixty games from him, so I am very much in on Phoenix. Um, because three of their players don't have a long injury history. I like the coach. I think he'll get Vogel will get the most. Um, and I also think bench play in the playoffs can be a tad overrated. Uh, Boston didn't have a, a if you look at Denver didn't have a great bench this year. Um, there have been teams like the Laker bubble team that did have a very good bench. And then and, and, and the Warrior team a couple years ago had a pretty good bench. But there's been other teams that have won the title that didn't have a great bench. What they had was some mix of size, experience, shooting. Um, and I think the I, I, I think if you have three elite players and a fourth who will be very good under this coach, it's a fairly dynamic team. But there was a comment about two weeks ago from KD that was just so strange to me. And he talked about what 
inspirational players, Kyrie and, and James Harden were. And I thought, wow. <laughs> now, was that just for social media? Like, I like Katie a lot, but he veers into odd sometimes. When, when you look at Phoenix, and it, do you view it as combustible? I don't. But sometimes Katie getting into Twitter battles and these comments about stuff, I'm like, do you fear the combustibility of Phoenix? I don't fear the combustibility as much as the chemistry maybe not working on the floor. And maybe those two are cousins to each other. But I think that's a team that will, you know, Brooklyn, you know, towards the end, of course, James Harden and Kyrie were not seeing eye to eye. I don't see it being that type of situation, but the injuries do worry me. Uh, Kevin, of course, has his history, but Bradley Beal, I mean, it's almost career long with Bradley Beal where he has been dealing with something one way or the other. Early on, it was the foot injury, which he got past and, and what became a durable guy, but he had wrist surgery about a year and a half ago. He battled multiple hamstring injuries last season. He's someone I'm worried about getting to that kind of 60-65 game threshold, you know, for this team. Booker's fine. The other the other unknown to me is how how well can Frank Vogel get through to DeAndre Ayton? Can Frank Vogel get Ayton back to being the guy who accepted being a 10 to 14 shot per game player who anchored a top 10 defense during their time at, at the elite level when they went to the finals, when they won 64 games. Can Frank Vogel get him back? I think he's uniquely equipped because he's a coach that can say, look, my teams, especially defensively, have been built around great bigs. You go back to Indiana, Roy Hibbert. What was Roy Hibbert before Frank Vogel took over? Roy Hibbert's career took off in the aftermath of Frank Vogel becoming the head coach there. In Los Angeles, AD, Dwight Howard, the bigs they played with out there. Frank Vogel can say, just trust me. I will find a way to get you your shots. I will find a way to make you part of the offense. And there's reason to believe that he can be that guy. So that, I think, is going to be a big key. Can Frank Vogel get through to DeAndre Aiden and make him happy and make him productive for that team this season. I want to pivot to this. I got into a discussion with a friend who, who works in Portland, small market. And I said, the upside to a big market franchise, it's often more attractive to the players, right? Like the stars want to go to the big market, not OKC. And secondarily, big markets are more willing to move off players and take a big swing because it's not the only game in town. Uh, everybody's seeking championships in Boston. They don't care you get to the playoffs. And in Portland for years, they were terrified to move off, you know, CJ McCollum and Dame because they were pretty good. And it's the only big game in town and they were terrified by it. Yet Boston moves off the soul of that team, Marcus Smart, because eh, getting to the finals is the only, you know, that's what we're seeking. So I, I, I love that premise that big market teams will just take bigger swings. I mean, moving off Marcus Smart is certainly as um, could be as punitive potentially in that backcourt as moving off CJ McCollum would have been, right? But Boston would do it. Here's my concern with Boston. Smart was a great locker room guy. Porzingis is not a culture setter. 
Uh, he has injuries. He, he's becoming a bounce around the league guy. Do you worry at all? Tatum's not a dominant, relentless presence that some negativity with Porzingis and his personality could now seep in and Marcus Smart would not be there to call him on it. Yeah, I think that's a real concern. Um, I do think over the last couple of years, and I've been around that locker room a lot and know that team pretty well, they've had some of their younger guys step up and be more assertive in that locker room. I think Jason Tatum last season was more assertive. Jalen Brown has become increasingly assertive. Al Horford, uh, the elder statesman on that team, has been a pretty strong presence in that locker room. So I, I think it's it's something they can overcome. I, I think they've got enough voices in that locker room that they can deal with the loss of smart. In fact, I think the loss of smart is more significant on the court that it is off. And I understand why they did this deal, Colin. Um, you know, this goes back to the trade deadline in this past February when the Celtics were all in on Jakob Pertl. They wanted Jakob Pertl in San Antonio. The asking price from the Spurs was two first round draft picks. They had two offers on the table. One was from Toronto with a first round pick and filler. One was from Boston, first round pick and filler. Uh, Without that second first round pick, the Spurs say, well, the Raptors pick is going to be better. So we're going to take the Raptors offer. The Celtics pivoted and they kept Luke Cornett and they added Mike Muscala, two guys that turned out to be unplayable in the postseason. So they went into this offseason knowing that with Al Horford about to turn or just turn 37 years old, with yeah, Robert yeah. Williams historically unhealthy, and with Grant Williams, his status for the long term still unknown, they had to add somebody reliable. And Porzingis, at least this past season, was reliable. It's it's abundantly clear that the Celtics wanted to give up Malcolm Brogdon in that, that transaction, but Brogdon's forearm injury is clearly something that right. is a cause for concern. So I understand that's a long way of saying I understand why they did it, but you know, Brogdon, who has been an injury-prone player for the entirety of yes. his career. Yep. If, you know, the Celtics are saying all the right things right now about that arm. I got to be honest, some of the rumblings I'm hearing is that that arm may not be the kind of thing that you give it a few weeks off and it's going to be fine for next season. I, I would have serious concern about Malcolm Brogdon going into next season. And if Brogdon is not able to give you the kind of durability he had during the regular season last year, what are you looking at? Right now, their rotation is Derek White, it's uh, Peyton Pritchard, and it's Sam Hauser. Two of those three guys were not part of the postseason rotation. So not only are you still thinnish up front, because as we talk, I don't know what's going to happen with Grant Williams. If he's back, if he's signed and traded, I don't know what's going to happen with that situation. Um, but you are looking at a backcourt where Derek White might be your only reliable option. That, to me, is scary. I see a lot of takes out there about how the Celtics are better in the aftermath of this deal. A month from now, that might be true. If they bring Grant Williams back, if they swing another deal to get a reliable backcourt player, that could turn out to be accurate. But right now, I think the Celtics are a worse version of the team that they were last year. Well, remember last year, they were great in blowouts. They thump people all the time. They were about a 500 team in close games. And sometimes that offense got jammed up. So I saw Porzingis as a he'll unjam it. Just go to the big. 
it's eight feet in, moves well, slashes. He'll get you unjammed offensively if Brown and Tatum get into these kind of weird, you know, these Rubik's Cube and they can't quite figure it out and you take it over and Brown's more aggressive. And so I, I do think they it makes sense. Williams, you're bubble wrapping essentially for the playoffs. Mm. Horford's just older and, and less dynamic. And I do think he does get you a bucket, get you unjammed, which the Celtics did. A lot of those close games, we were all going, why is Marcus Smart taking the shots? Mm. But I think your your point is championships may not run through the point guard position, but boy, you watch close games and half court games. If you don't have a facilitator, you know, one of the guy, one of the teams that really did well it, just for an individual player was Washington getting Tyus Jones, who nobody watches. But I, you know, I think Memphis, because Jaws, plus, you know, if you look at Jaws net rating, he's going to be gone for 25 games. Marcus is not a true facilitator. Nobody has talked about Tyus Jones. And I'm like, did Washington snare for a song? One of the better players that moved. I, I think call it on that. Memphis needed to do two things this offseason. One was to find a plug and play point guard for the time that John ja Morant is out. And the other was to replace Dylan Brooks. Like they needed a wing defender and Marcus Smart can do both those things. Remember last trade deadline, they were offering three or four first round picks to Brooklyn to get Mikhail Bridges out of there to Toronto to try to extract OG Ananobi. Like they were after that wing defender last year, in part because they knew this was coming with Dylan Brooks potentially parting ways with them. Marcus gives them a little bit of both. He's not the pure playmaker that Tyus Jones is, but he is light years better defensively and gives them a guy that can guard three, sometimes four positions out there at a pretty high level. All right, Chris Mannix, great stuff. Back and forth. Um, keep our eyes on Dame. As always, buddy, um, I know this weekend you've been busy with some personal stuff. All good. Very happy for you. Uh, love that we're re-signing you at the volume. You've been tremendous for us. And um, have a great next few holiday days off. Love being back, Colin. And uh, always appreciate catching up with you and looking forward to what's next. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.